But it's funny, when you think about it, I was with a group of pastors this past week, and everyone was talking about their goals for the year. They were talking about their goals for their church. And, and underneath all of that is a desire that each one of us has, like really deeply, for our life to matter. Like we really want to know that our life means something. We want to know that there's a purpose, that, that we're not just here by accident, but that there's a reason we're here, right? And we hear this growing up, like, you can be anything you want to be. You know, you can do anything you put your mind to. You know, every motivational poster that's at the dentist office, like, you can do it, like, persevere. But it's because there's something in us that wants to know that people know when we walk through the room. And they would know, like, if we weren't there, because we want to know that our life counts. It's why we listen to all kinds of podcasts, right? It's why we listen to productivity and self-help podcasts and growth podcasts. It's, it, it, we want to know what's, what do the most productive people do before 6 a.m.? You know, we, we want to know that. And, and, and so we're trying our best to make our lives matter. And if you're a parent, you know, you're, you're trying your best to, to help your kids figure out like how to, how, how to have purpose and how to have direction. And we ask it in all kinds of ways. You know, we'll ask it, you know, well, how do I make the biggest impact? Like, how do I make the most money? What's God's perfect will for my life? You know, who's the perfect person for me to marry so that I am in God's perfect will? Like, who's the person out there? And we search all over the place. But it's interesting that very few people actually get to the end of their life and look back and say, I did everything I was supposed to do. Right? You and I have all sat with people, you know, in hospital rooms and on deathbeds, and we've sat and they've said, you know, I wish I could go back and redo this. I wish I could go back and undo this conversation, or I wish I could go back to this moment when I went right and I would have gone left. And Paul, what, what Paul writes in 2 Timothy, we've looked at this every single week. At the very end of 2 Timothy, he says in chapter 4, he says, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I have, I have laid it all out there. He says, I have held on to the faith. And so everything in 2 Timothy is to get to that place to be able to say that. But most of us, if we're honest, like if we were to be like facing death today, most of us would not be able to say, I don't have a regret. I don't have a regret. And it goes back to what we think winning at life is. Now, we have said throughout this series, 2 Timothy is one of my favorite books of the Bible because Paul is sitting in a jail cell. Okay, now in the first century, there were not like really, they didn't have moleskins and they didn't have journals and stuff. So it was not easy to write a letter like Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, these are all the things you need to know to get to the end of your life and to say, I have kept the faith. I have finished what God has put me on earth to do. And so he says, that is the goal. And everything leading up to, the, to that point in 2 Timothy is about keeping the faith finishing well, and it really boils down to making decisions. Now, here's why I think you and I miss the boat when it comes to meaning and purpose. For this simple reason, this is where we're headed today, that every decision we make, every action we take is an effort to make our lives matter to someone. Every decision we make, every action we take is to make our lives matter to someone. Think about it like this. 
Maybe you know somebody who has a job, they went to school, you know, they majored in something they really didn't want to major in. They have a job they really don't like, and you say, hey, why do you have this job? Well, my parents had this job. My parents thought I should go to this school. My parents thought I should marry this person. My parents thought I should raise my kid this way. All of us make decisions so that someone will take notice of us. In a dating relationship, there's a good chance at some point in your life, you went a little bit further than you wanted to in a dating relationship. And you did that so that someone would love you back. Every decision, big and small. Now, some of you are sitting here going, you know what, Josh? I'm not a people pleaser. I really don't care what people think about me. To that person, what I would say is every decision you make is so that people know how rebellious you are. You want them to know. You want them to take notice that you just don't care. (laughs) But every decision we make, if you look back over this past week at the things that frustrated you, Okay, the things that made you angry, the things that made you impatient. It's because somebody did not give you the love that you were looking for. Someone did not give you the admiration and the respect that you were looking for. Someone did not give you the approval that you were looking for. Every decision we make, every action we take is to gain someone's approval to say you matter. In fact, some of your biggest regrets... If you look back on your life, I bet some of your biggest regrets is because you did something to make yourself matter to someone and it didn't play out the way you hoped. And so Paul is trying to get us to see, he wants us to evaluate, okay, how do I make decisions? This is why, this is why if you fill your calendar, you fill your calendar so that your life matters. You sign your kids up for every single sport so that their life matters. It's why we spend huge amounts of time and money on things, trying to please the people around us. And and then we do this with our relationship with God. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the way that we view God then is we think, well, I need to do things so that my life matters to God. I need to show God that my life matters. But what if, what if we live from a place of knowing that there is nothing we can do to get more attention or love from God than we already have. Like, think for a moment. What Scripture says and what we're going to see today is that there is nothing you can do for God to love you more than he already does. We were talking about this at our group last night, about why you feel bad if you're a follower of Jesus, why you feel bad if you don't read your Bible. Like, do you feel bad if you don't read your Bible? If you feel bad because you don't read your Bible, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'll just admit, I feel bad a lot of times when I don't read my Bible, okay? I'll admit that as a pastor. I don't read my Bible every day, and I feel bad when I don't read my Bible. Now, why do I feel bad? Well, because a good Christian should read their Bible every day. That's what I've been told. A good pastor certainly should, and he shouldn't stand on stage in front of his church and say that there are days he doesn't read his Bible. Some of you are judging me right now, and that's okay. That's okay. But why do I, why would I feel bad? See, if we're honest, when we don't read our Bible or when we don't pray, 
we feel bad not because we are missing out on the relationship with God, but we feel bad because we think that's the only way we'll get God to love us. That's why we feel bad. And Paul says, the people whose lives make the greatest impact are the ones who live from the place that know there is nothing they can do or not do to gain or lose God's approval and love. Okay? So this whole passage is about us getting to the place. I mean, just imagine for a moment. Imagine if you woke up every single day and lived from the reality that you had all of God's love and presence that you needed. That God wasn't like holding back and being like, you only get a little bit because you only spent five minutes in the Bible today. That's how some of us live. Let's be honest, some of us live that way. Some of us think that the only way that God is going to show up in our life is if we do something for Him. And that's nowhere in the Bible. Do you know how many people in the Bible God showed up to and spoke and did something in their life who were not looking for Him? Right? Mary wasn't looking for God. She wasn't looking for God to wreck her life and say, you're going to carry the Messiah and one day he will die for the sins of the world. She wasn't looking for that. See, what God is looking for are the people who are ready to say yes. This is what we looked at last week when when Paul says that a follower of Jesus is like an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier. Somebody who does the everyday mundane things, somebody who does the things that nobody else wants to do, somebody who says yes before the order is given, somebody whose life revolves around their faith instead of it just being a hobby on the weekends. But the person who does that knows that they are loved and approved by God. And a big part of why you and I feel bad, this feeling bad is different than feeling convicted. I want to be really clear about that, okay? Like feeling bad about something is different than feeling convicted for the sin or the brokenness or an action that you did. But you and I feel bad too many times because we don't really believe that we're loved and approved by God. We don't believe what what Paul said at the beginning of chapter 2, that you are in Christ. See, and so what happens then is that this is an important truth that I want you to miss, that how we believe others see us then is how we believe God sees us. Okay, so the person that you think, I need to gain their love, I need to gain their approval, that's how we think about God then. But the follower of Jesus knows that they're approved. And so Paul gives three things in this this passage about the person who makes an impact and whose life counts. He says in verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Like I love that imagery. That's just going to spread. It's like a disease. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. 
Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription. This is so important. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. And so Paul gives us three things. And if you check the Next Step email box on your Connect card, we're going to send you just some questions under these three things to really evaluate your life. And the first one is, the, the kind of person that God uses is someone who knows they are approved by God, okay? The kind of person that God uses is someone who knows they are approved by God. Someone who lives from this place of deep knowledge of knowing that they are loved and accepted by God, and, and there is nothing they can do to gain it. There is nothing that they can do to lose it, but that they are loved and accepted and approved by God. And so Paul says, a follower of Jesus, a worker approved by God, is not ashamed of the gospel, is not ashamed of God, rightly handles the truth of God's word. Like, think again. Why is it that you feel bad as a follower of Jesus? Do you believe that you're approved by God? And he says that they're not ashamed. They take a stand on what the Bible has to say. And he says in verse 18, because the resurrection of Jesus has happened, and like in Advent, we are waiting for the return of Jesus, for the resurrection of all the saints to happen. But then he says, the person approved by God, in verse 19, this is so crucial, the person approved by God knows that he belongs to God, that God knows who belongs to him. Right, if you're a follower of Jesus and you show up in heaven, God's not going to look at you and go like, I don't know your name. But some of us live from the place where we wonder if God knows our name. See, the relationship that we have with God the Father is the same relationship that God the Son, Jesus, has with him. So that you and I get to walk into the throne room knowing that God knows our name. And some of us, we live from a place where we go like, I don't know if God knows who I am. The follower of Jesus knows that God knows their name. And Paul says, God knows those who belong to him. Now, some of us could read that verse and be like, well, that sounds like a threat. But but it's not. It's supposed to secure us. Right? When someone knows our name, when we belong to a group, I mean, think back to middle school. Like, how hard did you try to belong to a group? And that never disappears, even as an adult. You're like, I just want to be included. I just want, I want to be in the group. Like, how do I get in the group text? And then you get in the group text. You're like, I'm in the group text. That's the feeling of, of being approved by God. And, and here's the thing. Like, I, if you leave and only get one thing out of today, I hope it's this. I hope it's that as a follower of Jesus that there is nothing that you can do to get more of God's love and approval than you already have in Christ. There isn't anything you can do. There isn't anything you can do. The moment that you take that step of following Jesus, there's not like a scorecard that God's keeping. He says it has been wiped clean. And and that changes then how we look for God's will, how we try to make our lives matter. It changes how we make decisions. 
And Paul says the person who God uses knows that they are approved by God. And some of us struggle to believe that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God knows our name. And Paul says God knows your name. Even if your dad didn't. Even if your friends didn't want you to be in the group. Even if you feel feel ostracized from your family. You feel abandoned in relationships. You belong. God knows your name. That should change how we worship. We worship from this place of gratitude and acceptance instead of, you know, I, I got to show God like how passionate I am for him. It changes how we give. We don't give so that God goes, man, that's so great. Look, look how much you're giving. That's incredible. No, we, we give because out, out of this just gratitude of generosity from God. And then as we walk through life, we, we want other people to know you can be known and loved by God because our deepest needs, our deepest desires are to be loved and known. And so the first thing of somebody who's used by God is they're approved by God. The second one is that they're pure. Look at verse 20. He says, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So the second thing that's true of the person that God uses is they are pure. Paul says there's, there's in a house, there's, there's gold, there's silver for special use and honorable use, and then there's things for dishonorable use. Right now, none of us want to be the instruments for dishonorable use. We want to be the gold and silver for honorable use. And so Paul says that is through purity, through being clean. Scripture talks about this as being holy, set apart, different. But purity is not just in the way that you and I often think of purity. We think of purity like when it comes to relationships or sexuality. That's how we often think of purity. But purity also has to do with what your motives are. Like, why do you do that? Why did you make that decision? Why did you react the way that you did? Purity is about not just your actions, but also your reactions and the motives that drive those things. And one of the themes that Paul writes throughout this entire letter, purity leads to no regrets. Right? Think about it. When you made a decision for purity, do you have a regret about that? Nope. Not at all. You don't have a regret about that. I remember years ago, um, when we started our church, we started in Tucson, we started a, with a dating and marriage series. And so one of, the, one of the weeks was about singleness and sex before marriage. And so I remember there was a, a woman who came up after the sermon, and she was in her 40s, and she said, you know, so I'm single again. And she said, so obviously, you know, I've already, you know, I've been married, I've already had sex. So she said, obviously, like, you're just talking to other people. And I said, Okay. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, I said so when you think about your relationships with, with other people, when you think about your thought life, I said, has, has 
making the wrong decision or being impure the way that we talked about it today, the way the Bible talks about impurity, I said, has that added anything good to your life? No. Purity is not just about sexuality and relationships. It's also about purity of words. Purity of thought. This is why Jesus said, if you hate somebody or lust after somebody, you've already committed a sin. So you might just think, man, you know what? Like, I didn't fly off the handle, but like mentally I was pulverizing that person. That's the same thing. But the kind of person that God uses is pure, is clean. So they get to the end of their life and are able to look back and say, I have kept the faith. Now, here's what that means. That will mean that you don't make decisions that you really, 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 really want to make. That will mean that you won't say things that you really, really, really want to say. That will mean that you will keep your mouth shut when you think they really deserve a piece of my mind. That's what that will mean. Yeah, but if I don't tell them, I mean, who's going to tell them, Josh? Why does that matter? See, we can all think through our, our week. There, there was something this week where you, you weren't pure. And you don't feel great about it. It doesn't feel good. Like even last night, at 10.30 last night, I had to walk into one of my kids' rooms and say, hey, I'm really sorry for what I said. That's humiliating. But we do that, and, and, I, and I did that not because I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm such a failure as a dad, but I did that because I sinned against them. And again, like we say every single week with communion, the cross tells us, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that we need help, that we can't do it on our own. And so the kind of person God uses is approved by God, is pure and clean. And the third one is this. In verse 22, they're a servant. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then, They may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So the kind of person God uses is approved by God, is pure, and is a servant. And when we think of a servant, we, you know, we think of the person, you know, like in Downton Abbey, like opening the door of the butler, like that's what we think. But that's not what Paul's talking about. A servant is one who lays themselves down for others, who sets aside what they want A servant doesn't say, I deserve a thank you. And Jesus, the night of his betrayal, what does he do? He serves his disciples. Did they deserve it? No, one of them was about to betray him and he knew it. And how many times, I mean, I've done this and you've done this, let's just all confess it together. We've looked at people and we're like, you don't deserve to be served. You've thought that. 
You have a boss or a coworker or a spouse or a kid or a friend. You, you've looked at someone and said, you don't deserve this. And Paul says, but if we know that we're approved by God, if we know that we are loved and accepted, how could we not serve? How could we not serve? And he says, a servant, he returns to holiness. He says, a servant flees from youthful passions. Okay? Now, this can mean a whole host of things, okay? But it's, it's this idea of a follower of Jesus is one who progresses and matures. And so that, that's not just in your spirituality, but also in all of your life. So if you're in your 40s, stop acting like you're 22. Well, I'm just a big kid inside. No, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up, and it's time to stop playing Call of Duty in your mom's basement. It's just time to grow up. Like, so in your life, as you grow in the same way that as a follower of Jesus, if you say, man, I've been going to church for 10 years, been following Jesus for 10 years, and you're exactly the same that you were 10 years ago, Paul would say, it's time for you to grow up and flee from youthful passions. And, and what are those? Well, they're righteousness, faith, love, peace, a pure heart. And then he says, they reject foolish and ignorant disputes because they know they breed quarrels. You want to know if you're mature? You don't enjoy arguing. You don't enjoy fighting and debates. Now, I know some of you are going, yeah, but like, Josh, debating's my love language. No, you're just immature. I remember when I was, when I was in my early 20s and I was out of seminary, there, there's nothing worse than like a 20-something with a seminary degree because like they're just ready to fight about everything. I mean, I couldn't, deb- I, I, was, I was like, man, I'm gonna debate everybody. And then I remember I was listening to an interview and Philip Yancey, who's a great writer, he said this great comment. He said, no one was ever argued into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, don't, you don't quarrel. You're gentle with everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Do you, do you hear the word gentle? It's twice. So a follower of Jesus, someone who is used by God greatly, is someone who is gentle. Yeah, but like Josh, like they just, they just need like a good shot up the side of the head. Gently. See, but he says, God's servants are known for righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Are you known for that? Are we as a church known for that? See, nowhere does it say in the Bible when Jesus does not say, my followers will be known because they're good debaters. It doesn't say that. I mean, here's another way to think about it. Do people like to work with you? Do people like to be around you, or do you find yourself alone all the time. See, and when we're new in our faith, we, we want to debate all kinds of stuff. And he even talks about the debates that they were having within this church in Ephesus, you know, debates about the end of the world and when's Jesus going to return. And, you know, he says, no, no, no. A mature follower of Jesus doesn't debate those things. There's a calmness to them. And he says, that, look at verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Okay, let's just stop there. 
must not quarrel. It doesn't say, must not quarrel, but if this happens, it says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle. To who? Everyone. Able to teach and patient. Everyone, including the person in your family that you haven't talked to for years, including the coworker that you just cannot believe somebody could be that dumb to post that political post, that person too, gentle to them, patient. So when someone is working your patience, there's a good chance you are in the center of the will of God. And then, when we instruct them, we do so with what? Gentleness. Why? He tells us in verse 25, perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. So we do this and, and here's the thing, some of us, some of us have to admit that we don't care if the people we disagree with or the people we really, really don't want to love, some of us don't care if they ever repent and come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. Like some of us, okay, like we're headed into this really fun political season. So like some of us have to admit that we would much rather make a point about what we think politically than help somebody find their way into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So, Paul wants us to say, okay, like, do you care that there are people who are dying and going to hell? Because we do these things... We live from a place of God's approval. We live from a place of holiness. We kill and fight our sin, and we, and we come at this as a servant. Why? So that one more will be saved. And let's be honest. For some of us, we'd much rather be right about whatever we think about a current event than for one more to come to the place of repentance. And and one of my greatest fears as I think about the next generation of faith and as I watch, you know, millennials and Gen Z and the next generation just continue to leave the church is because we are much more concerned as American Christians with what we think about current events than ushering in the kingdom of heaven and inviting people to be part of it. And and that's a short win. And so Paul says, Timothy, and, and don't miss this, because here's Paul. He's sitting in a jail cell. He's in his 60s, 70s. He's older. Timothy's in his 20s. It's funny that he says to somebody in their 20s, flee your youthful passions. But he's like, start, start working on it, man. Like, start, don't get caught up in it. Because it really, it really doesn't matter. 
And so as we, as we take communion, here's how I want to, there's a couple of things that I think we really need to kind of just do some like searching of our hearts in. And one is, do we actually care that God's desire is for all to repent and know Him? Some of us, some of us, we don't. And, and that's, a, that's an area where we have to ask, okay, like, do I really want to see my family, my friends, my coworkers, my teacher, my boss, do I want to see them come to faith or am I just indifferent about it? And then as we think about these three things, do you live from a place where you're approved by God, where you're pure and clean and a servant? Now, at least one of those maybe all three of them, but at least one of those is one you're not really great at. And so here's my encouragement as we get ready to take communion together. I want you to take a moment, whether it's approved by God, purity, or being a servant, whichever one jumps out, to come before God and say, God, this is the area of my heart that I need to confess around these things. I don't believe that I'm approved by you. I don't live from a place of love and approval in you. I don't live from a place of purity. I don't have, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be pure. I'm just trying to do things. Or maybe you need to confess, I'm really just not a servant. And know that when Jesus gathers his disciples on the night of his betrayal and breaks bread and takes the cup, he did it from a place of knowing he was approved by God the Father. He did it from a place of purity and holiness and he did it as a servant. And because of that, you and I can do that. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Paul says that they might repent, that God will grant them repentance. So, as the band leads us, I just want us to take a moment and just say, God, this is the area approval with him, purity, or being a servant. And then I'll lead us through communion.